You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. What we need is, you know, somebody reasonable to come in and try and figure out what to make of the wildest two weeks you could ever imagine in the NFL. So I figure the best way we can do that is to have Bill Barnwell come in and make us all smarter. It is that time for our weekly chat with Bill. And Bill, thanks for hanging out with us as always. Let's start with the easy stuff. Just how good are the Bills? Oh boy. I mean, it feels like the only thing that can slow the Bills down are injuries, right? I mean, it's almost like the only thing that can stop them are themselves. I mean, Josh Allen did throw two interceptions in week one. That did kind of slow them down for a bit. They had a bunch of guys either get hurt. Thankfully, the Dan Jackson injury seems to not be serious, thankfully. Um, But it seems like they had a bunch of guys get injured yesterday, and that could be a problem for them. But otherwise, in terms of talent, in terms of production, in terms of movement, I mean, it just feels like they're on a different level than everybody else right now through two weeks. Yeah. First of all, Bill, I think we need to get some sort of Tuesdays with Barnwell open now that you're going to be with us every Tuesday. So I'm going to put in a request for some production. I would like Bill to come in to a uh, well-produced open, please. Um, Let's talk about the other team that we saw look super dominant last night, the Eagles. So many question marks around Jalen Hurts. This roster is great Mm -hmm. up and down. What was he going to be? He looks like he could be quite good. What did you see from the Eagles quarterback last night, and how does that maybe change any expectations you have for them this season? I'm higher on them than I was heading into the season, and I think Dylan Hurts' poise as a passer goes a long way, and I think the sort of sustainability of the offense goes a long way. I mean, this was an offense last year, that first six weeks of the year, they were struggling. They moved towards a very run-heavy approach, which you can win with, but a little harder to win with that style of offense. You have to be really good at, at running that kind of offense as a unit, and this offense is more conventional. They throw the ball a lot more, and they're very good at throwing the football a lot more. We've seen it's not just one guy. Not that they need to have more than one guy, but week one, it was the A.J. Brown show. Yesterday, more Devontae Smith mixed in. So it feels like they have the depth in terms of their receiving core where it's not just dependent on one guy staying healthy and playing at a high level. So I think we'll see what they do in the weeks to come, but I think the Eagles are the legitimate Super Bowl contender given how they're playing on both sides of the football. So what's the real version of the Vikings then? The blowout in week one or the blowout in week two the other way? <laughs> Oof. Well, well, are we talking real prime time or real not prime time? Because that seems <laughs> to be very different for Kirk Cousins. It's the strangest thing. I, I always want to try and refute these arguments. And the Kirk Cousins one just feels like it, it actually is a real thing. And I don't know why he's worse in prime time. But what I will say is I think they're going to be a fun team more than a good team. I think... Certainly, they have a lot to do on defense in terms of their secondary. I mean, they just were not able to keep up with the Eagles yesterday. Their young players have to develop as the season goes along. To me, this has always felt like kind of a retooling year for the Vikings, given what they did over the offseason. So to me, I think they might view this internally as a year where, hey, if they make the playoffs, they're a wild card team, great. But I think they're kind of figuring out what that roster is going to look like after they get out from the Kirk Cousins deal, which will be after next season. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Tuesdays with Barnwell. You can follow him at Bill Barnwell. He's the host of the Bill Barnwell Show, wherever you get your podcasts. Great writer for ESPN.com. Um, Tom Brady will be without Mike Evans. They signed Cole Beasley, uh, see if he's got something in him. How worried are you about the offense of the Bucks from what we've seen so far? I mean, at this point, what does Tom Brady have left? 
you think about the roster he had around him, even last season, when it was a healthy offensive line, it was, you know, three or four really talented receivers. Gronk was there, Antonio Brown was there, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans. I mean, it feels like he's down to the absolute bare bones on offense. They're, they're one call away from probably dialing up Julian Edelman and getting him to come back and take play a couple of weeks mm-hmm. for the, the Buccaneers' offense. It's just a mess right now. And I think for them, I mean, they're going to have to change the way they win games. The first two weeks of the year, Brady's been fine. He had an incredible pass for a touchdown against the Saints, but they've won games with that defense. And I think, you know, they're in the long run going to have to win games throwing the football. I think that's just what they're built to do in terms of their cap situation. But I do think in the short term, they're going to try to win games by playing great defense and trying to protect the football. And Tom Brady has won games like that in the past, certainly. It's just that maybe the Tom Brady we thought of as the guy who's going to be the focal point of the team each and every season, more like maybe 2002 Tom Brady. It feels so like, Bill, every show is the, the Bucks sky is falling, but Vegas still has them as mm-hmm. one of the favorites to go to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. What, what does Vegas know the rest of us don't? I mean, look at the division, right? Falcons are, they've been competitive. Falcons are not a very good football team. Panthers, geez, I mean, it's just ugly week after week. And the Saints, I mean, they're a massive comeback against the Falcons away from being 0-2. And they were competitive with the Bucks, but they just fell apart with turnovers. And James Winston, what's going to happen to you uh, some weeks? So to me, I think they're just in a position where the Buccaneers don't have to be a great football team right now. They have to be a great football team in December and January. And I think it's just about them kind of sustaining that, that, that division title right now and being in position to peak when it gets most important, uh, hitting December and January. Bill Barnwell, you always do your five teams that are likely to take a step back, and the Titans sort of uh, bucked your your trends and the metrics that you used mm-hmm. for them, which included one-score games and included uh, mm-hmm. likelihood to regress the mean when it comes to takeaways, a couple other things. It feels like you could just copy-paste that from last year and put it this year, but it would actually come true. How much of what you mm-hmm. expected last season is sort of coming to play now? And it feels like it is, you know. I mean, I, I don't want to say it's some kind of nerd revenge uh, for the fine <laughs> numbers last year, but, uh, you know, certainly we know they can be different from week to week, right? I mean, they're such a weird team in that they can be, they can dominate the best team in football one week and then lose to the Jaguars the next week. They, they've had that in them over the past few seasons. But to me, I think, you know, look at that Giants game. That's a game they typically win in years past. They had to stop that two-pointer or kick a game-winning field goal. They didn't get either of those things to go their way. And I think the concerning thing is something we talked about, I believe, on this show last year heading into the postseason, which was Derrick Henry was not all that great in 2021. He had mm-hmm. crazy numbers because he was getting literally the biggest workload in the history of the National Football League before breaking his foot. But he did not play well in the playoff game last year. It was not his old self. And the first two weeks of the season, he has not been the Derrick Henry we all knew and loved and came to fear if you were an opposing defender. He's been big, but he's not breaking many big plays, not really getting chunk off chunk plays. He has two first downs in two weeks of football. That's not Derrick Henry. And so if that doesn't happen, if he's not Derrick Henry, suddenly the entire structure of that offense changes, their play action game isn't as devastating. The the entire offense shifts, and I don't think they have the personnel to support that right now. So to me, I think they're kind of locked into what they have, and they have to get more out of their star players. Having them actually play like stars in the weeks to come is going to be what defines their season more than any numbers or anything I can throw out there before the season even begins. Real quick then, Bill, if the Titans aren't good enough and the Colts don't look like they're any good, who's going to win that division? 
do you believe in the Jags, Fitz? I, I think the Jags are pretty good through two weeks. I, it's never come back to bite me before. Jags are always good. No reason to think they're not going to be good this year. Oh, I love it. I, 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 I don't know. I just It's going to take a little bit, m- bit more for me to get on that bandwagon. <laughs> I can't take that leap. Follow him on Twitter, at Bill Barnwell. Bill, I would have asked you about the Raiders, but the hurt's too real. I can't help it. I, I, can't, I can't take it. Maybe next week we'll, have a, you know, we'll see where things go. But, but at, at this point, I can't promise anything. We appreciate you, my friend. I'm sorry, Fitz. Next week will be better. Oh, that's Thanks, what I Bill. keep telling myself. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Your small business keeps you on the go. Progressive Commercial Insurance keeps your policy within reach with their easy-to-use mobile app. Learn more at ProgressiveCommercial.com. All right, the first two weeks of the NFL season have created a ton of questions and a few answers. We're going to give you both next, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at SiriusXM, Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance, and y'all can hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. That's how you can get in on the fun. In the meantime, we need to get into some fun. We're two weeks into the NFL season, which has given us some good, some bad, some fun, some ugly, a little bit of everything in in between. So we've decided that there are certain questions that we definitively have and certain questions we're ready to definitively answer. Sarah Let's go through some Q&A. You ready for this? I'm ready. All right. Let's start with, we'll we'll piggyback this off what Bill Barnwell just said. I asked Bill Barnwell, you know, given the fact that the Titans don't look like they're good and the Colts don't look like they're good, who's going to win the South? And he may have jokingly said, what do you think about the Jags? Are we ready to (laughs) say that the Lions and the Jags have started to turn the corner? I think that that is an answer that we've gotten through the first two weeks of the season. Now, everything we say now could change with injuries or otherwise, but I think a lot of us are sort of weirdly rooting for the Lions and Dan Campbell after hard knocks, even if many of us thought his first couple press conferences were ridiculous. They hung with the Eagles, 38-35. That was a close game against a team that we are all now pointing to as a Super Bowl contender. And then they beat up on the Washington Commanders, let them get back into that game a little more than you'd like. But the Lions are a reasonable football team that are taking steps going forward. You got a guy like Aiden Hutchinson who's breaking franchise records in his second game pretty darn good. I feel good about that. I think Goff is going to do decent in that system. I don't think he's the future forever, but they'll be all right. And then the Jags, 24 to nothing over the Colts, a team that just seems to have a ton of trouble with Jacksonville. Um, And then they fell to that Commanders team, so that wasn't great. But um, turning a corner toward us, not considering them the butt of the league. How about that? I I love that you said, you know what, like, it looks like they might be decent and, you know, golf's okay and they might be pretty all right. You know, that's – but that feels like progress. uh, Not playoff teams, but (laughs) – I mean, but you are right. It feels like both of the organizations are at least building towards what it takes to become a good franchise. So, you know what, I think we have an answer at this point. Early in the season, so far, we are both comfortable saying that the Lions and Jags have begun to turn the corner. There's Mm -hmm. a question I don't think I'm ready to answer yet. Uh, not definitively, and that is is to a tongue of a low for real. And, and like I get it, Sarah. What a game! And I don't know that you can have that sort of game and not have it carry over with momentum with the way he played against uh, the Ravens, particularly. But I think we are forgetting 
what the beginning of that game looked like when Dolphins fans were all over him for some of the missed throws. And as I said yesterday, I don't think Tua really cares. Like He seems to be even keeled, and uh, kudos to him for being able to play through that. But I, I still think that there are questions because the expectations aren't just for Tua to be Jared Goff and be okay. The expectations are for him to be very good. He's got the weapons to do it. I just think we don't know yet. One game, big, big statement, but we also know the way the world works. If Tua comes out and stinks next week, oh, everybody's going to be right back in on the he can't play bad. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think this is still a question for me and not an answer. I need a whole game. I need uh, a defense that doesn't poop the bed. I mean, so much of what the Dolphins were able to do was on third down on a Ravens team that just sort of turtled and, and didn't have answers for the kind of um, incredible speed that they have. Um, you know, after week one, we weren't raving quite the same way. We, we needed to see more. So I'm not going to allow one win in a crazy game like that be the answer here, uh, but certainly looking a lot better. And, and let's be honest, too, that one win, again, signature in so many ways, mm -hmm. but did not look from the, uh, you know, the vaunted eye test. It's not like what we saw from Jalen Hurts last night. I, yes. like, I think it's okay to admit that while Tua had a great game, it feels like the trajectory for Jalen is the, the reason people are buying in more is because it seems like it's happening in a way that's easier to buy into than what we're seeing. There's a little less consistency from Tua so far. And that, that, like, that's okay. It's just... It's going to take a second. We're going through some of the questions and answers across the NFL that we feel like we have definitively after a couple of weeks. One thing that I think uh, we, we're comfortable, I'm comfortable for sure answering, is this the year the Titans finally fall off and rebuild? I think the answer to that is squarely yes. And last night was a lot about the Bills, but also a little about the Titans. And boy, nothing's coming easy to this football team right now. It just feels like you go into Sunday's game against my beloved Raiders and it becomes really the season-defining moment for both of those teams. The, the Titans desperately need a win, and I think that's going to be a tough win for them to be able to get even at home. So I feel like the Titans have taken that step back. I agree. I think the only thing that will affect whether this is an official fall-off rebuild right now or further down the line is how the rest of that division fares. I think we see the writing on the wall for the Titans, and maybe they should have seen it even earlier and figured out to change their identity. They clearly didn't. They made off-season decisions that made things even worse, and now they put themselves in quite a pickle here with losses to the Giants and getting blown out by the Bills. You mentioned that they're coming up on the Raiders. They get a couple easier matchups with the Colts, the Commanders, and the Colts again than the Texans before things get tougher with some matchups with the Chiefs and Packers and, and Bengals and other teams that should be much tougher for them. They've got a stretch in the middle there where they may be able to pile up some wins against really bad teams that they eke by and then they're convinced that they could still make a playoff run. That pushes back that rebuild. So it's an answer for me that they're falling off the cliff. There's still a bit of a question about exactly when they're going to admit that to themselves. Well, and also, as I say all the time, there's a difference between being a good football team and being a playoff team. Like, they're not always mm -hmm. the same thing. So uh, this division could prove that this year. Also, crazy that we're, we're sitting here now after only two weeks. It could all turn around saying, well, they got a couple of games against the Colts. Those, those are going to be easier for them. <laughs> Something that a month ago would have been, oh, juggernaut, yep. got the Colts right. right there. All right, so as we continue to go through questions and answers, here's a question that I don't think we know the answer to yet, but I'm interested in your thought. 
Is it a one-and-done season for Nathaniel Hackett as the head coach of the Denver Broncos? I'm giving him more time, and I actually liked his explanation today. Not only did he own up to the very obvious, which uh, he didn't need to point out since they've got four delay of games and the fans are counting down their uh, play clock for them, but he at least acknowledged that he needs to be better about time management and getting his decision-making quicker. But one thing he mentioned was, having been an offensive coordinator and the play caller, how much he talked and talked into the head coach's ear, offering his opinion during different times and moments and games and how he should have probably been able to say that more succinctly and get out of the way and let the, let the coach make a decision. He's now getting that from the other side and needs to figure out when to say, I'm the one in charge here. I'm making a decision and I'm making it now and I'm not wasting any more time. And I think being honest about that gives me a little perspective on him learning the job and does make me feel like, okay, I'm waiting. I'm giving him a little more time. There was a reason why they hired him and I think he deserves a little longer to prove it. I agree with that. I think what gets really hard in this situation is you can only hear that that buddy say, my bad, so many times before right. you're like, okay, mm -hmm. like uh, I, I get it. It is your bad. Fix it. There's a learning curve here, and I, I think it's important that everybody be patient through that learning curve. But also there are such as, such high expectations when you have the amount of money that Russell Wilson has. And mm -hmm. when you bring in a quarterback that a franchise that's been waiting for years to get that quarterback feels like is going to lead them to the promised land. I, I'm not sure that I'm buying right now that they seem to be on the same page to make that happen. And the longer it takes for him to become capable of asserting himself as a head coach, the more I have to wonder about that dynamic with Russ and what it means for where that team is building. So I'm with you. I don't think we know the answer to it yet, but I don't feel great uh, about it right now. One more here. Let's look at the Steelers. What do you think? Kenny Pickett eventually going to take over for Mitchell Trubisky this year? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think that they decided that Mitchell earned a shot here, but I think what we're seeing through the beginning of the season here is just how limited they can be with him at the quarterback position. It's 100% memories of some you know, good results with the Bears where the defense was really dominant and the offense just did enough to get it done. I think you're already seeing moments where if there was a better, more accurate, more dynamic quarterback in there, they could be doing more in that offense. And I think they're going to get impatient and go to Kenny sooner rather than later. Yeah, the thing of it is, they're not going to win games right now because of Mitchell Trubisky. They're going to win games because of their defense and mm -hmm. whatever that defense looks like. They're just going to try and survive. And if all you're trying to do is survive with Mitchell Trubisky, then you're going to have to ask yourself, does it really make a big difference to keep Kenny Pickett off the field? Like The, the best way for him to learn at some point is going to be getting reps. So, yeah, I, I think sooner than later, if the offense continues to sputter, I, I really had expectations that last Sunday the Steelers would beat a, a Patriots team that yes. I don't think is very good. And mm -hmm. it was a battle of terrible offense, just a battle of ugly all the way across the board. So uh, we'll see how it plays out. That gives us some questions and some answers. Again, it's only two weeks in, so we'll continue this exercise as we get more information. But in the meantime, the real question is, did we actually see the future Super Bowl matchup from last night? We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, and as always, hanging out with you on the ESPN app. Be a fart. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, CSPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. You can always hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. 
earlier we asked you about 0-2 teams, which ones should panic and which ones should have patience. You are mostly aligned, Fitz. It's kind of as expected. It's the teams that didn't have much in the way of hope to begin with that should be panicking, and the Raiders and Bengals in particular being patient as they wait out uh, some future opponents. I do think uh, worth noting that even a team like the Titans that probably should be panicking uh, because of that division, you just never know if they might be in the thick of it. And we might be having a little bit of um, recency bias in terms of that terrible loss. Maybe things start to come together a little bit more. Yeah, I I think that that all plays into it. And also, it's so early in this season. We just need to take a big deep breath from most of these teams. Because when you look around the AFC, the amount of there's only three teams left in the AFC right now that are 2 0. And that's the Chiefs, Dolphins, and Bills. Everybody else in the conference has at least one Mm -hmm. loss. So even if you're 0 2, you're a game back. Like, it's just a little I perspective to all of it. That's a big part of it because, you know, I, I had that statistic earlier since the start of the 2019 season. 27 teams have started 0-2 and none have made the postseason. We would also have to look at the statistical starts of other teams and the parity versus top-sidedness, top-heaviness of the league. And what we talked to Aaron Schatz about and what we've talked about since the start of the season is the expectation that there'll be a much bigger middle clump of teams this year with some very few rising to the top and some very few that are truly terrible. And that's going to make for that playoff race to be a little stickier. And that 0-2 might not look so bad. Also, a 17-game season helps a little bit uh, with that for sure. Uh, Speaking of teams that have risen to the top already, at least early on, we might have seen a future Super Bowl matchup last night. I think a lot of people, Fitz, saw the Bills making it that far. A lot more question marks about the Eagles. Let's talk about the Bills first. 41-7 to over the Titans. This team um, had massive expectations, Super Bowl favorite expectations coming in, and they've even outdone those for through the first two games. And particularly when you look at the teams that they are facing, this is two playoff teams from last year that they've taken on, and they absolutely destroyed them. In fact, they set a record for most points starting off a season in terms of the deficit between uh, winning winning and losing, uh, starting off a season against two playoff teams from the previous seasons. Plus 55 is the largest point differential of any of the 201 instances where a team took on a previous playoff team in the first two games of the season. Not only, uh, and this shouldn't surprise anybody, nobody in the NFL has scored more points right now than the Bills through two games. And again, that's against two teams that were supposed to be quality opponents at one point. Nobody in the NFL has given up only the, I should say, only the Buccaneers have given up less points so far than the Bills have. Mm-hmm. They've, they've only given up 17 points along the way to do this. Like, it is, it is amazing to see. Not just that they're 2-0, and because as we've been talking about all night, you could be 2-0 and maybe not be great. They are two slaughters, and not even, nothing's been close. Like, it, it's just, it feels mm-hmm. like they're still running through preseason against everybody else, and that is just a telling statement when you've taken on the Rams and the Titans. Now it'll be a whole season of clenching their fingers and toes and butts about making sure that they're peaking at the right time and everyone stays healthy. Because when you start off this hot, just want to make sure you're still looking that good come playoff time. The other team we saw last night that a lot more question marks and were not maybe as common of a Super Bowl pick were the Eagles. 24-7 to over the, the Vikings. Hertz completed his first 10 pass attempts, finished 26-31, 333 yards, including 301 in the first half. He was so efficient 
and the Eagles' defense was so dominant. Two picks for Darius Slay. Justin Tef Jefferson completely shut down. And the questions about Jalen Hurts and how good could he be, how good would he need to be with such a great roster around him, sort of answered. And Sal Palantonio was on KJ and Max talking about how the Eagles have found their guy. He settled the debate last night. He is the Eagles franchise quarterback. Debate over. And then he gets up there on the podium to the press, and he said, and this is the mentality of a coach's son, he said, we had a hell of a game, but we got a hell of a lot to learn. Mm -hmm. And I, that, that just impressed me. And mm -hmm. I think that's what impresses the coaching staff and his players. And, and Key, you're absolutely right. They love his very understated but earnest and tough leadership style. I mean, it hmm. works for this city, it works for this team, it works for this coaching staff, and, you know, you mentioned the defense, and when your defense is shutting down a dynamic offense the way they did last night, when Slay's playing that well against arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL, it's a reminder that the Eagles have done sort of everything right. They've gotten dynamic weapons, they drafted incredibly well, they're developing mm -hmm. guys well, like... All of a sudden, what a couple of years ago, you're looking around and you're thinking, well, what's the plan and what are we doing? And now it feels like they know exactly what the plan is, exactly what they're doing. And really, the question is, why not them? I mean, top to bottom, it's a better roster right now, especially with the health that they have. It's a better roster than the Buccaneers. It's a better roster than anybody else in the NFC, as long as Jalen Hurts can can hold up. And that that was a big question mark for a lot of people, rightfully so. But Two weeks in, he's answering those questions. What more can we ask for him, from him at this point other than to take advantage of the, the weapons around him? And he's doing a brilliant job of it. Yeah, I mean, you have to give a ton of credit to this front office for making the moves in the offseason that they need to, for going out and doing the things that were required. There's a lot of teams that either are hinging on greatness and they aren't willing to spend the money and do the work to shore up the positions that they need to, or teams that frankly are past their prime and need to hit the rebuild button and aren't willing to do so. And the Eagles, I think year after year of recent times, you've seen the front office be willing to make the right moves. That includes C.J. Gardner-Johnson acquired for almost nothing from the Saints. Big move for a team that definitely needed a safety. Um, you look at Jordan Davis, how insanely athletic he is and how Taking Davis and adding Hassan Reddick, both of those guys allowed that defense to play very differently than what we saw last year. They were very passive, very conservative. Being able to dial up the pressure, being able to go for more takeaways, that's going to make um, for an even better team because Jalen Hurts is going to get better field position. They're going to get some defensive scores. They're going to get to run up the, the, the score a little more and, and find that balance. That's the thing that Bill Barnwell talked about. They really started balance last year uh, despite people calling for the run. They ran a lot more, and it made them so much more efficient. When they did run um, and pass their receivers, the routes were more efficient. Hurts was more efficient. Um, you put all of that together, and I think you've got um, a recipe now where they have a better idea of who they've got with Hurts with their weapons and then a, a better defense and I don't know maybe we're getting lost in the moment after last night's win but this Eagles team is exciting yeah I, I think and then you look at just the way they've been able to put it together with a coaching staff that seems to get it the whole way and this could be a message of hope for Broncos fans even because remember the beginning of the tenure there were questions you know about what the Eagles were trying to do and was Sirianni and over his head and all of these things that, that early mm -hmm. on in his regime were being said and all he seemed to do was stay steady and listen to the guys and figure it out and then 
before you know it, right away the Eagles looked much better by the end of last year, and now they, they pick up right where they left off. So I think this is sort of the reminder for every team that it can take a second with a new coach to get yep. everything to click. And once you get that together, combine that with a front office that is playing chess while everybody else is playing checkers, you're always going to have an advantage. It's just the, the Eagles right now feel like they are doing things smarter than we've seen anybody do it in a, for a minute out of Philadelphia. Yeah, I'm I'm waiting for us to get burned on how high we are in these teams right now, week two. Of course. But I, I don't know. I mean, I do think that especially when you look across the league and you see more parity and more middle of the road, teams like this are, are going to elevate and, and prove themselves early on to be the cream of the crop. Yeah, well, it, and at some point, the, it speaks to what we've talked about all night, that maybe the rest of the NFC isn't particularly great, so it's going to let a team really take advantage of that, stack some wins, get a little momentum, get a lot of confidence. Uh, everything is right there, especially with what's going on with Dallas, uh, the way the rest of the East looks. The, the, the Eagles have the opportunity to really come in and seize the NFC, which I didn't think, I, as much as I picked them to win the division, I didn't think they would be this good this early. I mean, Cooper Rush hater. I mean, after that performance that he put up. <laughs> no oh, faith. you're not wrong. You're not wrong. No faith. Yeah. No faith in Cooper. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Coming up, the Vegas Aces Championship Parade is underway. We'll try to put into words how big this moment is for the team, for the city, and for women's sports getting to make for a first. It's coming up next. Be a fart. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We are starting to see photos and video as the Aces Parade just getting underway, about to get started. LV Aces on Twitter is where you can follow along. Some nice shots of a bunch of the players getting off the bus for the parade. Uh, Let's just say their to-go cups are extra large. Although Mm. Asia Wilson did say uh, when someone asked if she had her to-go cup ready, she said she had her gallon ready. It's smaller than a gallon, but it is a big gulp. Uh, she also started out the day at 8 a.m. with a where my four locos at. Uh, terrifying. Truly terrifying. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Fitz's ace is currently celebrating their WNBA championship win with a parade that has shut down a part of the strip. That's a huge deal, Fitz. And I'm fascinated to think about... I mean, there's some cities, New Orleans, New York, where things don't close till very late, if ever, where you can get wild Miami. But is there a better place when it comes to ways to get messed up, is what I'm saying here, mm-hmm. uh, than, than Vegas? No, nah, you can get weird easier uh, on the Strip than I think anywhere else in the country, and uh, this is a really cool opportunity for the city. It's a cool opportunity for the Aces. It's a cool opportunity for the W. Uh, I love the fact that they did shut down the strip. It's never easy to figure out where to put these things realistically. You know, when you're talking about parades, especially in a city that is really spread out and has one major area, but I think it's a good idea. I don't know if anyone saw the pictures out there of the pop up shops that have been opened up that, uh, you know, are out there. Uh, selling gear for the aces but uh, it it was uh, the the lines looked pretty incredible and uh, frankly I'm pretty pleased with the crowds that you can see on the street uh, that that are there as the team's going up and down so I think it made a lot of sense to put it on the strip too because you've got people that are just in Vegas that are going to go check it out so yeah I love what they were able to do Uh, unintentionally even if they're trying to get from one place to the other and they think it'll be a nice quick walk uh, I don't know like 
you and me last year when I was in town for <laughs> Bears Raiders and we were going to take the little train thing and now it's going to take too long. We'll just walk. It looks really close. Oh, here we are. It's like a full mile later in high heels. What are we doing? We're sweating. This is terrible. Um, it was funny. People were saying that looks like a short parade route. I'm like, oh, it's a lot farther than you think it is on the little map where they make it look like you could just pop on over to that other casino. Um, you know, I talked about this on my um, uh, FaceTime today after I won around the horn. Finally, and it's not rigged. Right. Uh, I think one of the cool things, and you know, we've talked about how cool it is for them to be the first, you know, big professional team to win a title in Vegas. Um, but I think what's maybe less talked about that's even cooler is that you know, in sports, there are so many things that men's professional teams got to do first just by virtue of existence. Teams that have been around for 100 plus years and what we associate as our core memories of what it means to be a champion or the nostalgia, the history, the connection that we have to places and teams and championships, they're all rooted in men's sports culture. And because of Vegas not having professional teams like this before and the Aces winning it first, this is like their piece of history. They get to be the first to have this parade down the strip. They get to be the first to be a pro team bringing a title and rings and trophies. Just the cutaways to the Raiders game showing their final game on the big screen um, on Sunday and the fans losing their minds. I mean, I just, I, I think there's something really cool about that. And we underestimate the amount of of support that men's teams have gotten through taxpayer funds, through, um, you know, po politicians helping advocate for big stadiums that will be paid for by cities, um, for, you know, just the opt out nature of men's sports where you're going to find out about them, whether you care or not. And in this case, the aces become, you know, the standard that the men's teams have to catch up to. It was a conscious decision. I think, you know, when you look at the way that this was marketed and when you look at the way the effort that was put in, and we've talked a lot over the last few days about the relationship with the city, but when you think about the star power that we saw and even talking to some of the people around the WNBA talking about the fact that, look, it, you know, it's Vegas. It's easy to get in and out of. People want to go there. People want to be there. And to have that level of celebrity around it, really hit different when you also then combine it with a first championship, a first parade. These are the lasting memories. Like whenever, uh, you know, hopefully someday in my life, there'll be a Raiders parade for a Super Bowl, God willing. <laughs> you know, maybe I might be 80 when it happens. But when it does happen, the question of how will a parade be done is something that will be answered. Because, Sarah, what a lot of people in Vegas have had to try and figure out now is how do you do a parade when you've never done one before? And you think about that being the groundbreaking, there will always be the, well, the aces were the first. And I, I think that's mm -hmm. an important part of the conversation that, that will last. I've said it uh, so much over the last few days, but the legacy of the aces, this particular team, and what it's going to mean for this city and for sports fans in Vegas, it's just, it's different. I, I talked to the Raiders uh, radio affiliate today, and we ended the interview talking about what a championship means for the aces in, in that city. And I just think, for, for Las Vegas to for all of this to happen at the same time that Vegas is finally being seen as a legitimate sports town also is a huge part of this because like it, it legitimizes the entire feel for the locals and for the teams that are there. Yeah, I mean, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. I think you look at the, the two starts for the two new campaigns, the Golden Knights and the Aces, the Knights making it to the Stanley Cup final in their very first season. Like there is nothing that will get interest and drive fans more than winning. 
And so the fact that the Aces have won it and the Golden Knights started off so strong, you've got merch sales, you've got people walking around, you've got, you know, all of this, the, the bedrock foundational stuff to get the attention that you need when you're breaking into a market that you haven't existed in before that has tons of other entertainment options. There is no better way than to start off by winning. And um, you mentioned the Raiders. They've got a lot of fans despite not having that success. And in fact, you know, Mark Davis is doing parade interviews and saying it's been 40 years since my family won a championship, right? Like mm. he, he's been counting too. And so for them to get this start this early in and also fits this team could easily become a dynastic team. The folks who are coming back, the age and the talent that we saw, I mean, this could be a long run for them or at least be in the mix for a long time. And that's huge. Yeah. And, you know, when you mention sort of the exposure around this and what it means to one thing that's always interesting to me is think about what Vegas is as a town. Right. So so many people come in and they're going to go to the casinos and they're going to hang out. And I don't know that you could always turn around and say, hey, let me offer you some WNBA tickets and have people freak out. It was interesting to me, even at when I was at the Connecticut Sun Arena at Mohegan. Uh, just wearing, you know, obviously Raiders stuff at the time. Uh, a couple of the people that walked up to me were like, God, I got to go see a game in Vegas. It looks like it's so much fun. I think the TV element of what, what's been captured this year, and for anyone that mm -hmm. hasn't seen the numbers, were through the roof. It, mm -hmm. it changes so much of even that portion of it. If you're in Vegas next year and you're sitting there on a Tuesday, you're like, oh, there's an Aces game. Let's go. Like, I think that's what's happened for the Golden yeah. Knights, too, that hockey may not have been ingrained in some people's minds, but then all of a sudden you're there and you're like, hey, let's go to a Golden Knights game. I think that's a, the, the TV element of this that transfers to and, and just seeing how chaotic those crowds were through the playoffs becomes something that translates to years of money for Mark Davis and for the Aces organization. You mentioned the numbers. WNBA on our Disney network, so ABC, ESPN+, Plus, etc. Uh, up 22% for the full season, the most viewed season in 16 years. 22% for the postseason, most viewed in 15 years. Up 45% for the semis, 50% for the opening round. Up 20% for the regular season, 53% bump for the All-Star game, and 20% even for the WNBA draft, which was the most viewed in 18 years. Nothing but dubs, as the at WNBA account said. And that's huge because what we're seeing is if you put it on TV and you give it time slots, people are watching and they want to watch. We have said this over and over again. You've got to give people an opportunity and you've got to show them the value of what they're watching, creating pre and post shows, creating content around it, giving people statistical breakdowns, giving people things to debate about. All of those contribute to it being something that people recognize as as valued and something to care about. And it's making a huge difference. It's huge. Yeah. I would challenge people to to go look at some of those numbers and compare it to other sports that you mm -hmm. think have a higher profile because the numbers are far more favorable than yeah. a lot of people want to make you believe. And the sponsorship dollars are going through the roof. Like this is just an inevitable growth process that's happening. And for Vegas to be at the forefront of it as a Vegas kid feels just incredibly special. I cheers you with a four loco fit. Uh, have you ever had a four loco? Uh, not in many years. Yeah, regrettably, yes. But now I may have to go try and find one in Connecticut somewhere. Yeah, just to celebrate the parade from afar. <laughs> Air cheers with Asia with your four loco. Uh, I don't need. I feel like I am naturally four locoed, so I'm terrified. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at seven Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.